Welcome to Instruction Interruption, a podcast to celebrate New Mexico educators from every corner of our beautiful state. I am host Mandy Torres, the 2020 New Mexico Teacher of the Year. Join us as educators talk pedagogy and practice as well as share their passion work and maybe even a few lessons they have learned along their teacher journey. This podcast is sponsored by the New Mexico Oil and Gas Association and is produced in collaboration with the New Mexico Public Education Department. This is our first episode in this new series, and there's no one better to kick off this work with than with Joe Dan the Man, otherwise known as Joe Dan Lovato. Joe Dan is a math intervention STEAM age educator at Mark Armijo Academy in Albuquerque, South Valley. Joe Dan, who grew up in Las Vegas and Roy, is a 2018 New Mexico Teacher of the Year finalist and was named the Teach Plus Policy Fellow of the Year last year. His approach to teaching and life in general will leave you inspired. You have to do everything from the heart. Everything that you do, it has to come from the point of love. If that doesn't make you want to hear more, keep listening to find out about Joe Dan's career as a professional singer, songwriter, and musician. He also will talk Ghostbusters, basketball, and even about his students' experience with the Chupacabra. So put your pencils down and listen up. We're ready to interrupt your day with one of New Mexico's teacher leaders. Hey, Joe Dan. Thanks so much for joining us today. I know a lot of people in New Mexico already know a lot about you. You've been teaching here for more than a decade. You've been involved in a lot of leadership activities and, of course, with your professional singing career. But I'm just going to jump right into your teaching and ask you, what are two things that have made you so successful in the classroom so far in your career? Uh, so the number one thing was, uh, perseverance, uh, got to stick with it. Um, and I'll just kind of elaborate on that real quickly. My third year teaching, I was out the door. I was done with this profession. I just felt like I couldn't contribute. I had built really good relationships with staff members and students, but there just wasn't much of the content being delivered in the way that I thought I could. Uh, and a lot of that was due in part to me feeling uh, constricted to the curriculum uh, that the school had handed me. And so uh, I had a good talk with my then principal, Justina Montoya, and uh, she allowed me to have autonomy in, in where I, you know, my classroom. And so I was treated like a professional and I wasn't just given a binder or a curriculum. Uh, so the perseverance, that, that changed and just sticking with it. Uh, again, it was not the students, it wasn't the staff, it was really myself and, and not being able to deliver what I was supposed to do, which was to be a teacher. And uh, so you know, sticking with it was one, one big part of it. The other thing was opportunity. Uh, I always encourage people anytime you get an opportunity, take it, uh, because that's kind of what's put me in a, in a lot of great places where I'm at, not, not just myself, but my co- colleagues and my students, um, just taking every opportunity that I feel that can contribute to myself, being a better professional or a better human being. Uh, I, I try to take as many of those as I can. And I know a lot of folks are used to seeing me. They, somebody said the other day, you're everywhere. Uh, yeah, I, I take a lot of opportunities and I try to make time for those opportunities because that's what ultimately contributes to, to what I do. 
Well, thank you for staying. I know, it, you know, those first five years are just really hard for any teacher, but I feel like once you get past that, then things start to start to fall in place and get a little bit easier. So I think we're all glad in New Mexico that you stuck it out and decided <laughs> to stay. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so we know that the most important aspect of being an effective teacher is to create those strong connections with your students. How do you go about establishing and strengthening those relationships with your students? Um, and, it, and it seems obvious, just building those deeper relationships, not the surface relationships when they walk into the classroom and you're a teacher and they see you at the front and you're divided. Um, I guess you would say kind of dichotomizing the individuals that come into your class, right? Again, you're, the, you're in the front, so you're the leader. Um, the relationships kind of extend outside of a student teacher. I try to see everybody as a possible friendship that's going to be laying in front of me or again, opportunity that might lie before me. Uh, and I came to the realization very quickly that a lot of the students that I work with are probably maybe going to be my boss one day, or maybe I'm going to be hiring them one day. Um, and so I just try to make sure that I approach them as I would approach anybody else uh, that I care about, which is extending that relationship, um, exp extending that hand of friendship, and letting them know that I'm not just here about learning and, uh, and content but I'm also here as a human being to help support their goals and their dreams outside of academics. Um, you know, we were talking earlier on email about being athletes, where we came from. And, you know, in rural New Mexico, athletics is extremely important. Um, music is extremely important to, to some folks. So I think getting to know those individuals and what their interests are and expanding your own horizons so that you can be that type of a person or model for those individuals. So yeah, I think, you know, it goes beyond just making a few phone calls. Uh, sometimes I'll go and meet students for dinner or for lunch. Uh, sometimes we'll go play a couple, a little bit of basketball. And, and sometimes we'll sit down and pull out the guitar or the keyboard and uh, we'll have a little jam session. But I think what I realized about myself is that uh, I really thrive off of allowing other people to reach their dreams and reach their potential, but also, you know, guiding them in that direction and allowing me to expand my horizons. I, I might not be good at very many things, so I allow them to step into the place as expert and teach me what they what they love and what they're passionate about. It sounds like you're good at a lot of things. <laughs> um, so <laughs> that kind of goes naturally to the music. Um, so how did you get involved in music and how do you kind of use that uh, asset that you have in your classroom? Sure. Um, I was actually kind of leery to instill music into my classroom because I didn't want to come off as uh, that corny individual who's changing every other hit song on the radio into something academic. Uh, I think there's a time and place for that. But what I decided to do was bring in my second profession as a musician and let them know that I'm not just a teacher. And that's something that I've, I've emphasized to a lot of my friends and my colleagues, which is you have to be something more. You're not just a teacher, right? You're not just a contractor. You're not just a doctor or a nurse. Uh, those are all very valuable in their place, but we also have other talents and we have other gifts that are hidden. And so, you know, I, I started playing music. I was a, I played the flute in band for about two years, was the only boy in the section. I, I realized that what I like to do is break down barriers. Anytime somebody told me that I couldn't do something, I was rising up to that challenge. And I, I guess I just had that grit. Uh, built into me and, and, you know, trying to prove people that I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, I can be whoever I want. And so that music played a big role for me. Uh, 
and, and yeah, I, I play from my students. Uh, it's usually stuff that they request that they'd like to hear. Um, at least some of them. Some of them are like, I really don't like that song. <laughs> uh, letting them know that as a performer and as a professional musician, just like anything else that we do, we're not always going to like the things that we do. Uh, but it's stuff that we have to do to accomplish. Uh, you know, we have to do this stuff so that we can get to the next level. Uh, and it's all about bringing joy to people's lives. And so putting our ego aside and our differences aside, hopefully that music uh, can bring us closer together. So I want to go back to the part where you talked about uh, breaking down barriers, and I want to give you a chance to, to talk about your sports career because um, I've been told that you were had you were a pretty mean basketball player back in the day, um, but that you also weren't the tallest one on the team. Um, and I think that you know just that kind of grit that you're talking about, you know, we saw it start you know when you were in high school with basketball. So can you kind of just talk about the breaking barriers aspect, just of the athlete part, because I think that's important for a lot of our students who who see that as a place to be themselves. Absolutely. Uh, like, I, like I tell people when I share my story, I was always that guy that most people said I wasn't tall enough or I wasn't good enough or I wasn't hardworking or good looking enough, however that may come across. And I think I just started to build that confidence in me. Uh, sports gave me that outlet to be able to compete at a different level and to have that stage where I could prove people wrong and and i don't know that it was so much about proving people wrong uh as much as it was trying to prove myself that i could put my mind to something and accomplish anything um it was difficult you know i stand foot five foot five inches uh and i was fortunate to graduate the same year as some really well-known basketball players lebron james uh being one of them uh but uh, i kept my head up and i i put my work in in the gym and a lot of sacrifice where i didn't get to hang out with uh, some of my friends and didn't get to have some of those um those memories that some of them built in, but uh, I wouldn't trade it in for anything in the world. I mean, uh, being a basketball player, being a track and field athlete, uh, I wanted to follow in the footsteps of my grandfather, who's a uh, well-known in the rodeo industry, you know, well-respected as a team roper, world champion. And uh, my father who was also an all-American gymnast and uh, all-natural uh, mystery universe bodybuilding and wow. some really interesting stories. But uh, I wasn't given the gift of being the biggest person. I think uh, what most people would, would say in my scouting report was uh, I had the biggest work ethic and I had the biggest heart. And uh, that's what I encourage every one of my students uh, that I come across, you know, that uh, they can accomplish anything. Uh, and to use that negative energy as positive motivation to move forward. You can become anything that you wanna be as long as you put the work into it. And so I think that's what uh, allowed me to go farther than most people would at my stature. And uh, again, even though uh, my career didn't extend into the NBA as I dreamed about at that, uh, at that point, it did lead me to some pretty uh, incredible opportunities to play at different showcases, opportunities to play at the collegiate level, uh, although those fizzled out really quickly. Um, and it put me in a good spot. That work ethic that I, that I put into the basketball court and into the gym, it was easily transferable to my education and to my music and to my relationships. And so uh, I, I learned a great deal from being an athlete. Yeah, I did too. So I'm right there with you as a five foot one point guard. I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't one of the top scorers in the state like you were, but I could hit a three on demand in pressure situations. So I was pretty proud of that. Hey, we, we were the Steph Currys of our generation, right? Right, there you go. <laughs> 
So let's see, let's kind of turn a little bit to some of these classes that you've taught. So cryptozoology and paranormal investigations. <laughs> First, you've got to tell me how you got that gig, because that must have been really fun to teach. And then two, what in the world were you, were you teaching about in those classes? Yeah, so uh, at the last school that I was at, um, it was a charter middle school, and we were coming up with ideas that we, we could get students interested in coming to school um, and participating in whatever it is that we were doing. And uh, so we came up with the idea of offering something called incentive electives, which would allow educators at our school to teach uh, a handful of electives through the trimesters you know, based off of things that we were good at outside of education or our endorsements, I should say. And so when I sat at the table, you know, they said, well, Jodan, you're kind of good at a lot of things. And I said, well, you know, I'm just one of those guys that takes those opportunities and, and tries to make the best of it. And so I, I happen to like a lot of things. And I solicited interest from uh, the students in the school and they were all familiar with some of the things that I did. So I was very fortunate to create classes, uh, a cryptozoology class where we got to study things like Bigfoot and the Chupacabra, um, uh, the thylacin. And, you know, again, my passion being science, uh, it was a really great way to connect my students into the regular ed science classes uh, because now they have this sense of wonder, which is what science is all about. Uh, you know, a lot of people would say, well, that's a pseudoscience. And I completely agree. You know, my paranormal and extraterrestrial investigations, the same thing there. They, they are these pseudosciences. Uh, but I think it's more important to, to get students interested at a younger age and that mystery that, that's behind that science. And we turned those classes into more of a forensic class where we were wondering, we would take these photographs of Bigfoot and we'd say, well, what, is, what does it mean to scale something? How can we tell if something is seven feet tall or seven inches tall? Is there a possibility that something like this existed in the past, like Gigantopithecus who lived at the end of the Pleistocene era? And so it just really created this sense of wonder for these kiddos and the idea that they could go Bigfoot hunting in their backyard or catch a chupacabra, <laughs> right? Somewhere uh, where, where they're camping. It's just that sense of wonder that I really wanted them to be instilled with. Uh, extraterrestrial and the uh, paranormal investigations was the same way. My passion about ghost hunting and, and ghost busting, so to speak, that even though this stuff isn't necessarily real, at least some of it might not be, uh, that uh, there's still a place for, for that here. And those students really, it was also entertaining, I guess I could say for them. So uh, yeah, I was very fortunate to teach about things that I was passionate about while still getting content across to, uh, to my students. Yeah, that sounds like a great opportunity for critical thinking too, like thinking where is this information coming from and, and are these reliable sources? We, uh, we definitely talked about what a primary source is, what a secondary source is, uh, the dangers of looking at everything through Wikipedia lens <laughs> <laughs> right. or, uh, or getting all your information off of YouTube. Um, and again, I think, uh, like you said, you hit it right on the button, becoming a critical thinker, uh, but allowing them to have that opportunity to, to discover that for themselves instead of having somebody tell them what they should think. So did anybody find a chupacabra? 
no, I think the only chupacabra most of my students would, would tell me they found was either their little brother or little sister. Uh, it can sometimes be a terror. Uh, but uh, no, it, it was just great to see. And I had a lot of students coming out of classes saying that they were going to be paranormal investigators. Uh, and uh, I still get students calling me or sending me emails from five years ago, letting me know that they're going on an expedition up north to Washington. And uh, if they nice. find Bigfoot, they will uh, make sure that they take a picture uh, and he, he gets away unharmed. That's part of our deal. That's awesome. Maybe you inspired the next Blair Witch Project. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows, right? Okay, well that leads us naturally into your Ghostbusters collection here. Can you tell me a little bit about that and how you got into that? Absolutely. 1984 was the year and uh, I didn't just arrive on this planet, so did Ghostbusters. And I grew up with it. It was something that was I just took a fascination to the possibilities uh, that the science could hold. And I latched onto that. And, you know, don't get me wrong. A lot of my friends were into Star Wars and, uh, you know, Ninja Turtles and stuff like that. But the Ghostbusters really gave me this outlet of thinking that I could be a scientist and create a, a better world through what I loved. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to lie. I think one of, one of my goals, uh, I'm hoping to start my PhD program next spring uh, because four individuals chasing ghosts had their PhDs. And uh, I figured at a young age, why, why not me? And um, I, I just realized the hard work that, that went into ghost busting and uh, the academics behind it. It wasn't just somebody who could throw on a, a jumpsuit and carry an unlicensed nuclear accelerator on their back. Uh, you had to know what you were doing. And uh, I was just fascinated with it, uh, everything from the movie to the cartoon. Um, it was just, it's a big piece of my childhood and it's a, it's a big piece of, of who I am as a science uh, educator and professional. And so I just, uh, I think it's a great outlet for me to bring some more smiles to people's faces, especially when I show up at school or a comic expo wearing my uniform and my proton pack. And now I have my wife uh, and my little girl who also dress up in cosplay. And yeah, it's, it's, it's becoming a family thing now. So I want to talk to you about your rural background as you graduated from Roy High School. I too come from rural roots in Colorado, and I feel like that has a lot to do with who I am both as a person and as a teacher. So how has that upbringing influenced you as an educator? Again, I was fortunate. My, my dad's from Colorado Springs, so he was a city guy, and he married my mom, who was a country girl. Uh, and I was fortunate to have kind of both lifestyles, but... Uh, I, I went to school and grew up for the most part in Las Vegas, New Mexico, uh, but I call Roy, New Mexico my home. Uh, I, I went to high school there and uh, played sports, and uh, that's, that's my family, uh, my, my Roy Longhorn family, and uh, there's not much to do in Roy to, to some people when they say, well, my goodness, there's 150 people maybe in the town, uh, maybe even in the entire county of, of Harding County. Um, but you really meet the most resourceful people out there, the most humble people. And I always made a promise to myself that anywhere I went, I wanted to make sure that I carried them with me, uh, their spirit with me. They are some of the hardest working people that I've ever met in my entire life. Uh, again, humble, down to earth. Uh, and you make the best of it. We are, we are like a family. Uh, my senior year, I, I lost one of my best friends in a car accident that uh, I was supposed to be in. And, um, you know, as fate would have it, here I stand today, but 
all those folks that went through through those hardships with me they're uh i always tell people i don't have friends i have brothers and sisters and i have moms and dads uh everything else is just everything else and so yeah roy played a big part in in who i became as an educator some of my favorite teachers came out of that school doc mayer my science teacher who inspired me to become a science teacher uh miss donna hazen who was actually a uh, teacher of the year finalist as well a super finalist uh, the same year that i was uh, a finalist which was just remarkable if you would have told me you know early on in my career that i would be nominated with somebody who i look up to and who i think is the greatest I would have thought you were crazy. <laughs> and uh, there I was sharing the stage with a teacher who didn't just uh, change me and touch my life, but uh, did the same for everyone else that, that was fortunate to have her as well. So uh, yeah, I mean, uh, my wife is also from rural New Mexico. She's from Portales and went to school in Floyd. Uh, and we're hoping that in the next few years, my little girl will be able to uh, grow up as her uh, mom and pa did and uh give her that upbringing uh, out in the middle of nowhere and <laughs> let her let her know that uh you know just because you're out in the middle of nowhere doesn't mean that you can't accomplish your dreams i want to turn now to your current job right now so do you said that you're in a work environment where you can thrive with people you respect you mentioned um the dahlia chavez um 2018 ped teacher of the year finalist nicole vijo matthew Salas. So what advice can you give to beginning teachers to be able to find that school with a supportive principal and the colleagues who kind of have your same passion and eagerness to make a difference? I know I'm just going to sound crazy, but uh, I think you can make any place home. And I think, I think uh, people should try new things. And I was at my middle school from the beginning of my career up until last year. Uh, and I was always really, I was really nervous about the change. I, I, preach change to everybody, right? You got to be the change and you have to accept it. Uh, and there I was thinking to myself, I just want to kind of stay here because I'm comfortable. <laughs> um, and then unfortunately, the school had to go through closure because of a corrective action plan uh, that, that none of us regular ed teachers had anything to be a part of. And that gave me, again, another opportunity to expand my horizons. And, uh, you know, just like I swore I would never move to Albuquerque in a million years, here I am. And uh, I swore I would never teach high school. I always said that I was too, uh, too mature to, to teach elementary and too immature to teach high school. Uh, but here I am now at the high school level, and it's been such a fantastic experience. Um, I, I, again, I think anytime you, you're looking for a new position or a new place to call home, uh, always keep an open mind. I did pass up some really great opportunities uh, with some other schools uh, as well as the state. But my calling was always, where could, where could I do the, the most change? Where can I make the most change? Where, where can I serve the best? And I didn't pick the highest paying job because that's not what I look for. I'm not motivated by money. I'm motivated by people. And uh, I think a few people really quickly found that out, that uh, there are folks like me out there that don't chase uh, that money. Uh, it's more about what kind of uh, change and legacy you can leave behind. And so just go into those things open-minded. Uh, I would definitely suggest you talk to staff if you can. That was a big changer for me. Um, you know, the high school that I'm at right now, Mark Armijo Academy, we have one of the best leaders uh, with Monica Aguilar um, at, at the realm there. She, she is super, super awesome in supporting all staff and, and all of our students. But 
it was really unique. I'll just share this really real quick. I, I was working on an op-ed about my free agency because here I was uh, an individual who had a couple of accolades and, and awards under my belt, and now I was going to be moving on to the next chapter of my career. And it was just interesting to see that uh, I, I actually went through about 15 interviews in a matter of two weeks. Uh, it was very intensive. Wow. And uh, some places valued me and some places really didn't care much. But uh, one of the biggest parts of me accepting this position was when I went in for my interview, they, they wanted to know me first before the classroom. It was more of a family, right? What can you bring to our family? Because if you can bring that to our family, then everything else academically will be aligned. Uh, and they brought in a handful of teachers to interview me, which uh, now I have great relationships with them. They're my brothers and my sisters. Um, and one thing in particular that stood out to me that only one other school did uh, through my interview process, which was they brought a student into the interviewing process so that they could understand, so that they, that student could gain a better understanding of who I was as a person and what I could bring to the table as an educator and so that he could go and talk with his other friends and other other peers out in, in school and so I just really loved that about the school that they they allowed the school to be they allowed the students to have a part of that school and a part of that say on who they feel should be part of their new family and so uh, I just uh, I really appreciated that and it was uh, it was a great experience to go through. In my email, I asked you about what book you're reading right now, and you said you're reading Paolo Freire's Teachers as Cultural Workers, Letters for Those Who Dare to Teach for the Fifth Time, and sometimes you just have those books that you keep going back to. Uh, I think Freire's Pedagogy of the Oppressed guides a lot of my thinking as a teacher. But what is it about this book that is so compelling and keeps bringing you back to it? Yeah, I, uh, you know... Paulo Freire, when I came across him in my um, graduate studies, that's what really provoked me to change things up and do things from the heart. There's, there's really not one way to go about teaching. And when I started discovering Paulo Freire, like you said, uh, you know, pedagogy of the oppressed, uh, critical pedagogy, um, what I learned was anything, and it seems simple, and it's just, I think what it is, is it's just a reminder that you have to do everything from the heart. Everything that you do, it has to come from the point of love. Whether it's music, whether it's teaching, it doesn't matter what you're, or ghost busting, right? It has to come from something that you're passionate about. And when you read letters, uh, uh, when, you, when you read that book, uh, you know, cultural, um, and I'm skipping over here on my apologies, <laughs> when you read anything by Paulo Freire for that matter, it's always a reminder of why you do what you do and the importance of what you do. And, and it extends beyond assessment and data. Again, there's a time and place for everything. Uh, but what he allowed me to do in my teachings was not focus so much on the data. And I know some people say, well, you're a science educator, you're a data guy. Yes, I am. But we have to be able to set that data to the side and realize who's behind that data. And that's, that's where I started taking that, which was if I took care of my people, the data will always be there. And that's been my philosophy uh, uh, moving forward. You know, that's just kind of a quick, that book is a quick synopsis of a reminder of what we should be doing as educators every day, that it's not about a test. 
that it's not about this school or that school. It's about every person, every human being. It's about equity. It's about resources. It's about happiness. It's about health. Um, and that if you don't have that in your, you know, perspective, then nothing else is going to really truly matter. And so being a cultural worker and trying to follow in the footsteps of Paulo Freire, uh, it is difficult, but it's doable. Um, and so again, I, I, I say read it for the fifth time and maybe uh, we'll get to do an interview in the next couple of years and I'll be reading it for the 25th time. <laughs> uh, but uh, again, it's just a good reminder to all educators and to really anybody who serves um, in education of why we do the work that we do and how important it is to leave that legacy uh, because one day we will no longer be here, but knowing that we can help move our future into a positive direction and that's what we get to leave behind for our students, I think, I think that's amazing. Well, we have some pretty amazing teachers here in New Mexico and I have to say, Joe Dan, you're probably one of the most interesting ones that I've had the honor of meeting so far. So thanks for taking the time to speak with us today. And if you could just leave our New Mexico teachers with one piece of advice. Uh, I'm honored, Mandy. And uh, again, I'm, I'm really grateful that you're our uh, New Mexico Teacher of the Year. And I, I also got to nod my, my hat to uh, Jessica Sanders, a good pal of mine who represented last year, and uh, Ivana Roscoe, who was also that Teacher of the Year uh, when I was a finalist. But uh, I, as far as advice, you know, it's the same thing that uh, I'm going to tell all my students and the people that I care about. Uh, which is, you know, always do things that you love um, and, and find a way to, to do what you love um, and try to make some change along the way. Uh, we need that. Uh, so, again, to quote our favorite quote, I know me and you had this uh, big <laughs> right? one, just uh, go and be the change that you wish to see in this world and, and know that uh, you have a lot of power as a human being. Um, and uh, instead of uh, having arguments, let's have discourse and let's try to figure out how we can be equitable for everybody. Those are important words to live by. We're going to take a listen to more of Joe Dan's words in song form. As we have mentioned, Joe Dan is an accomplished musician. Here is The Long Goodbye, which Joe Dan wrote and performed himself. This one is from 2015, and it even received some radio airplay. Thanks for sharing with us, Joe Dan. Enjoy.
thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And uh, I will see everybody out there in podcast land somewhere down the trail. Thanks again to Joe Dan for being our guest. Thank you to the NMPED and the New Mexico Oil and Gas Association for its sponsorship. Join us for our next episode where we hear from Greg Butts, Cottonwood Classics man who wears many hats. He will explain how a literal revolution in another country, tear gas and all, helped to influence his teaching and understanding of social-emotional learning. This is Instruction Interruption. May your lesson plans be written and your coffee still warm. Thanks for listening.